0: Welcome to episode 186 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Lovin. Today we caught up with Sarah Pease.
1: She's a designer also at Facebook. She used to be the first designer at Figma. Small world. We had a great time catching up with uh, Sarah, learning about her background as a furniture designer. Talking about lots of buckets. Mm-hmm. Before we get into it, though, a uh, couple things. First, we're making progress on we are our Spectrum. ranking. Cranking. Man. It's been three weeks now that we've been powering this old hype train. Uh, But we are making progress, we promise. Uh, It's been nights and weekends for us. uh, Trying to continue to get feedback, fixing... Tons and tons of bugs. Bugs, So many bugs. Bugs for days, let's just call it that. You can keep up in our Slack team, which is at spec.fm slash Slack. If you haven't heard, we're working on this thing called Spectrum, which is a place that we hope the design and development community will come to hang out and chat once we reach the limits of our Slack team. We're having fun building. Again, join our Slack team at spec.fm slash slack and join the Spectrum channel for updates.
0: And with that, let's get into episode 186 with Sarah Pease.
2: My name is Sarah Pease, and I'm a designer who is currently working at Facebook, but damn this is hard <laughs>
0: uh, that was a that was an excellent intro <laughs>
2: really
0: yeah oh. we we uh we had someone recently just go like uh you no, know, it's Cat Noon she's like I'm Cat Noon I'm these things oh fuck <laughs> that was kind of the best <laughs> yeah I'm a I big mean, fan of those intros
2: I think designer comes before
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know the current company. place of employment yeah. but what,
1: what comes after that what's after designer what else do you do
2: uh Reader, chef, Ooh. animal lover, <laughs> long walks on the beach. Ooh. No, I don't know. Please don't put that in. That was the cheesiest shit I've ever seen. Can we
1: please leave it in? We'll, we'll see. Uh, so what are you working on right now?
2: Um, Outside of work. I'll start there. Uh-huh. Uh I am trying to spend more time going back to things that I used to really love doing, which is making things... With my hands, and I'm really into utilitarian objects—objects objects that were designed to be so normal that you will never pay attention to them. So, right, right now, I'm obsessed with like, plastic buckets, what? and so I'm working on some furniture reusing plastic buckets and marble. Tell me more. Um, that's that's an interesting combination. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, so I studied furniture design and you have, I think it's necessary at some point when thinking for years about furniture that you have this realization where like basically anything can be furniture Mm -hmm. and why should I spend so many hours and so much thought and so much material and so much money, you know, making a table that's, you know, hand-carved legs or hand-turned <laughs> legs and, like, you know, huge slab wood tabletop or stone. Like, there's so much that can go into it. But any flat surface is functionally a table. And that really threw me for a loop and ultimately led to Tupperware. my path away <laughs> from furniture design. But ah. coming back to it, I think I'm trying to to respect the opportunity. Are you saying you were-
0: disenchanted with tables <laughs> so
1: you went to, you... i don't understand it a table is everything
2: yeah i mean it is like think about an ottoman mm-hmm. like the strangest piece of soft furniture table. it's it, <laughs> i mean it can be soft it doesn't have to be soft it's yeah. a table it can be a footrest it's a seat like what do you do with that it's, it's too overwhelming so i came to tech
1: <laughs> is the versatility of it not like an admired trait in furniture design
2: uh, I can't speak for others, but I think <laughs> speak
1: for all <laughs> furniture designers now,
2: <laughs> I think for me personally, it came to a point where it's like, okay, I can spend my mental capacity stressing over what qualifies a great table or bench or chair, even though there's so many good chairs, I don't feel like I'll ever be able to contribute successfully to that, to the world of chairs. Uh That's like the most pressure I've ever felt is having to design a chair.
1: The exciting world of chairs.
2: Yeah. So anyway, not to belittle furniture design at all. I mean, I think it was really just a signal to me that I wanted to do more. And the thing that excited me about furniture is the way it activates a space when there are people involved. And I think that was my path to understanding that I really want to, you know, dig deeper into the the people side of things.
1: All right. So we need to pause because I... Let's work, let's go back okay. and work our way towards how we got to this point in time okay. and now you're you're also at Facebook. Um, so where are you from?
2: Uh, I was born and raised in Rhode Island, Jamestown, Rhode Island, one mile by nine mile island in the center of Narragansett Bay.
1: On an island in the state of Rhode Island.
2: Yes, which is not an island itself, despite what some people may
1: think. Despite the name <laughs> telling us otherwise. Yes. Yeah. Why is it called Rhode Island?
2: You know, I should know the history of this by now. There are a lot of islands within it. Uh, I think there's... It should have been called
1: the Rhode Islands. I know. know? That
2: would have been nice. I don't know if this is where the name came from or it was just a joke, but... So Rhode Island as a state was founded because Roger Williams was, you know, discontent with Puritan Massachusetts. And so... Who would be, you know? (laughs) He left to, you know, found his own state on the basis of religious freedom. So some people, I think, called it Rogues Island. Because he and then the people who followed, you know, were Talk the rebels. About
1: different times. Now it's like still wasn't an island though. I'm, so I know, I'm discontent with my tech job, so I'm gonna go start a startup. He's like, I'm discontent with religious freedom in this state. I'm gonna go make a state. What's your company yeah. called? Rhode Island. <laughs> you heard of it? It's pretty big. Well <laughs> Nope. <laughs> well, big relative to a human.
2: Yeah, it has almost a million people, I think. Yeah, it's bigger than other states Yeah, population That's like a
1: pretty popular startup, million daily active users. Yeah, there you yeah. go.
2: No, but I think it's interesting when I think about my interests now and I think about the state in which I was raised and the principle on which the state was founded. And there is like this you know, this rogue energy. And it's like, no, this this is wrong and I'm going to fight for what's right and I'm going to do something about it. And that's exciting to me. So you're spirit. a rebel? Uh, not Roger Williams <laughs> rebel, but I like to think that yeah, yeah. I play somewhere in the middle. I think it's important to understand the way systems work and not just blindly disregard them. But, you know, hopefully you can work maybe slowly, maybe as fast as you can to, to adjust that system to be what you think it should be.
1: Do you have like a story in your, your history where you realize this about like yourself and admiring that trait, as well as like recognizing the the nature of the place you were born?
0: It's a really good job interview question.
2: Yeah, that thought it would be a good interview question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I have one specific story, but it's kind of, I think how I ended up going from furniture to where I am right now, where I knew like design. Okay, let me back up. I ended up at RISD because I liked building things. And my dad's a machinist and I had been building things like my whole life. I have a picture of me I'll have to find for you. I'm like probably five. I have huge goggles on my face and I'm standing on a stepladder at a drill press. I'm like, oh I God. think... You know.
0: OSHA compliant? That sounds adorable totally. and terrifying.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, my dad's only cut a couple of his fingers off on a table saw at this MBD. point. MBD. So, yeah, um, Learned from the best. But I think like having the knowledge and the skills to make things is super empowering. And mm-hmm. I think you realize pretty soon after you start making things that design is a pretty important step. If you just start right into building, you're inevitably going to mess up and you know, I was telling you early that I spent yesterday building a basement door, mm-hmm. and even though I spent time up front working on the design, there's always things that come up that you didn't expect. And so, the more you practice, I think, the more you anticipate those problem areas. Like hanging a door is still such a pain, and whether it's like a cabinet or on a ah, house,
1: physics. I know there's just a <laughs> lot. These just a giant pain in the ass, huh?
2: Yeah, but anyway, I went from from making things to realizing I could go to school to study the design of those things. Um, and I actually thought I wanted to study architecture at RISD, but when it came down to it and I realized there's a furniture design department, the idea of limiting the scope to things that I could actually build with my own hands that you know weren't as intimidating as thinking about entire building systems. It's like, okay, I can experience these things in my own environment. Like, I've been interacting with furniture my whole life.
1: I've generally been sitting (laughs) and interacting with chairs Yeah, no,
2: And I think it's something that actually makes furniture pretty difficult because everyone has experience with it in some capacity, and therefore everyone thinks they know things about it.
0: Everyone's a chair expert. Yeah,
2: exactly. But it's also really, I mean, we can talk more about this later, but really interesting look into, like socioeconomic perspective, like if you ask people about the furniture they experience, you get totally different answers depending on who the person is, depending on your culture. You mean not
1: everyone has an Eames lounge chair in their living room? What?
2: I mean, I do. (laughs) 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 But it was my grandfather's from the 70s. Let's talk about it now. It's a real one. Yeah.
1: That's pretty interesting because you could draw parallels to digital design, right? Like understanding the perspective people have in the world is important. Yeah. What did that look like at RISD? Like, this is the most ignorant question because I know nothing. But like, what are the big problems today in furniture design? Like, what do furniture designers think about as these are like really deep problems that we want to work on and, and solve? Or What's the it? hot new furniture design tool?
2: I don't know if there is one. That's the next industry to disrupt. disrupt. <laughs>
1: Shit.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think cost, accessibility in general. I mean, when you're a young person and you're graduating college and you have no money and you need to furnish a home, you know, most people go to Ikea and that's totally fine, but that's just one option. And if you look at, you know, how many choices we have for other things in our lives, it just seems crazy that so many people get their furniture from one place. And so like I have... Some friends who've started a new furniture company based in Providence called Gray Cork. And oh
0: yeah, I know Gray Cork. Yeah, that's cool.
2: So John and Bruce and Alec, uh, Bruce and Bruce Alec is a and great I, furniture maker name. Yeah, Bruce is the best. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> ah, Bruce, you sound like you craft up a nice couch.
2: Yeah, well, actually, he does, and his, <laughs> you know, their whole their whole aim is to make furniture that's made in the states. Uh, is comparable to Ikea prices, ships flat, and it's you know more based on this, hey, we'll ship it to you. If you don't like it, you can return it kind of model. I have a couch from them, and I assembled it in three minutes. So I think there's something cool Well, thanks cool for being
0: competitive. I
2: appreciate
1: yeah.
0: it. What's your uh, opinion
1: of Ikea?
2: <laughs> uh, talk to me about Ikea yeah. the
1: way a furniture designer might talk about Ikea in a crit sesh or something. I
2: can spend a lot of time at Ikea. I basically skip past anything that's made of like particle board yep but a lot of the smaller objects like lighting uh they're making things out of real wood now that's exciting to me they're doing some really interesting experimental work with new types of joinery and that's one of the biggest challenges when it comes to flat pack and self-assembly is what's joinery uh the way two pieces of it's, it's boolean operations
0: for wood. Yeah, no, cool. exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> cool. That's a great way of putting it.
0: Is, is that an area of innovation that is like ongoing? Yeah. We haven't just like solved joinery yet.
2: No, and there just aren't that many players, which is why IKEA, um, is a, a you know popular hmm. place to go. But what were we <laughs> talking about? My my path to now. No, I want to
0: know. I want to know. He's <laughs> how... very concerned about IKEA right now.
1: No, I want to know. I want to hear how. Uh, someone with a background in furniture design talks about the design of furniture because I wouldn't know how to articulate things. This is, you know, if I spent more time, but generally it's like, is it this is ugly and too hard to sit? Like, on. is it aesthetically pleasing? Is it comfortable? And does it match like general heights? Like, is the height right?
2: Yeah. Um. Heights an important thing. There's like the ergonomic.
1: Help me me expand my vocabulary.
2: I mean, I would probably compare it to shopping for clothes or shoes or something like everyone's going to have their own taste. So let's just get that on the table. There's really no right or wrong answer. And even when it comes to comfort, you know, people have different, different expectations there. Um, And similarly to clothing, what I think is interesting is, you know, there's there's a curve. There's a correlation between cost and quality. Mm -hmm. For a while, but at a certain point, it can just be more and more expensive, Mm -hmm. but you're never going to like, there's a certain like quality bar that's physically impossible to pass, I think. Um, And so that's when it becomes less of a functional object, I think, and and more of a, you know, object that is part of your identity. Um, Hmm. But instead of wearing it, it's like in your house.
1: Like a gold Apple watch.
2: Yeah, exactly. So in that regard, I mean, it's highly personal. Uh, but, you know, as someone who was designing furniture regularly, I'll circle back to the bucket thing and my crisis. I'm like, you know, should I just wear the uniform every day? Like, should I be Steve Jobs or Zuck or whoever? Like, I don't want to think about this thing anymore. So I'm just going to, you know, taper, Mm -hmm. taper my thinking and... Just rely on things. So minimum
0: viable outfit.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, like at my dining table, I have a bench that has two buckets for legs. And I'm, you know, working on getting this piece of marble to sit perfectly on top of this bucket as like a juxtaposition of, you know, identifiable high quality versus unidentifiable low quality. I'm not totally sure what it means yet, but (laughs) I'm um, playing. But again, it started from a functional place. It's like, okay, I need a side table and I have this bucket because I (laughs) went to Home Depot and bought a ton of buckets. Uh Home Depot is another place I can spend a very long time wandering around.
1: They got lots of buckets. Yeah, Yeah,
2: and other things that I shouldn't buy. But, you know, like the bucket bench I made for a Super Bowl party that I had a couple years ago. And it's like, okay, I don't want to invest you know, and building an actual bench this afternoon. So what can I do that will be cheap? I can reuse the things later. So I'm not stuck with a bunch of junk that I don't want. So I like went and bought some lumber and some buckets.
0: Yeah. And then- but I mean, it's kind of on theme. Like buckets are like the the superest of bowls.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're very bowl-like.
1: Oh my God. Yes. Just flip the bench upside down, throw some dip in.
2: Yeah. It, it was weird enough that I was having a Super Bowl party, so yeah. it was just a strange time, I think. But <laughs> it was a confusing time <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> um, amazing, anyway, I think something that's worth talking about that I've been kind of beating around here is like the bucket thing started years ago. And it's just now that I'm actually like finding motivation again to pursue it. And I think that's been one of the most difficult things is, as I'm working full time, finding the time and the space to keep making things um, and and space is a real concern because like shop space is huge um, over the summer, I had four glorious months of unemployment and rented a shop space in San Francisco uh-huh. and like got in there, was making things again, rekindled my relationship with plywood
1: ah. Uh. Mm.
2: love plywood
1: love me some plywood
2: yeah. working at Facebook has been a dream because everything inside is made of plywood yeah yeah um, but
0: do you get over to the analog lab much what is it called analog yeah,
2: yeah there's the analog lab I've spent more time on the wood shop half mm. um, I have built a bed so far that's the one thing I've made at you the built Facebook a bed at, at Facebook shop. that's crazy <laughs> how did yeah. you
0: get it home
2: uh, in pieces.
0: subtle, <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 She smuggled them home one piece at a time.
2: <laughs> no, no. We'll never know. No smuggling necessary, Um, but...
0: She made it look like a bunch of skateboards.
1: <laughs> I'm riding one my bed home today. It's not a bad idea. Bed made out of skateboards.
2: I'm sure someone's done it. That's the other interesting thing about furniture. Like, there's this, this spectrum of, like, functional to sculptural, and... You have to decide where on that spectrum you want to fit. Like and then you get into the whole art conversation, which we don't have time for today. But mm.
1: you seem functional.
2: Yeah. Have that right. I think I'm insanely functional, and that's really starting to inspire some of my work that I'm doing now when it comes to, you know, just making sure people understand like how to register to vote, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like that's ridiculously hard. It's different in every state. Some states you can register online, some states only by mail, some states you can go in. The deadlines for all those things are different even within one state. Like people have the right to understand how to participate and, you know, anything I can do, like using this design thinking skill set that I have to to make yeah, just like participating in our democracy easier is what I'm about right now. Okay,
1: we got to get to that in a minute because yeah. that's like the teaser of what you're working on at Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you're you're at RISD and you're studying furniture design. What did you want to do at that point? Like, was your vision to become a furniture designer?
2: No, uh, I went into the department because like I said, I liked the idea of studying something specific and formally studying design in a context that was already like sandboxed in. Mm. Like industrial design would probably be a a popular like alternative to studying something like furniture, but even the thought of it was really overwhelming as a sophomore in college. You know, the project is you can make almost anything, you know, how I don't think I could limit myself. You you really
0: wanted the hard limits of the internet.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um... Give me a
0: screen where I have so many more constraints. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
2: Uh, So I don't know. I think I've, known this about myself for a while that I need to give myself those constraints I need like ways to help hold myself accountable Um, and
1: did you finish that degree yeah so you kept going you pushed through yeah
2: so I, I have a BFA in furniture design and afterwards I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do but I wasn't you know stuck to furniture I had had some success on the blogs and so
1: as they say. Yeah, it was
2: an option. Uh, I had a nice write-up in Dwell my senior yeah, year, and so that nice. definitely seemed something I could do, but it it was, I think, missing this, this systems part, the, the people part that I was craving. And part of my degree project my senior year, I had actually designed an app. It was never functional, but as part of my, you know, Degree requirement for furniture, my project was an app and uh, wait, wait, an accompanying accompanying water bottle.
1: It was all conceptual. Hang on. I am so confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your senior project as a furniture designer is to do an app and a water bottle. Yes. Okay. What
0: did the app do so for I'm the not water bottle? I'm mishearing this. Okay.
2: Yeah. This was back before you could actually get a water bottle that would like track how much water you've had to drink. Is that one of them? That's one of them. Yeah. Oh, so God. I got That's there Sarah's. first. Yeah. No, (laughs) I didn't get there first. But I mean, I had this idea that, you know, like having the skills to design physical things uh, only wouldn't be as valuable as having skills to design physical and digital things, because obviously the intersection of those things is more and more common. Um, In fact, like to that point, something I would love to redesign is like kitchen appliances Yes, like
0: yes, please. The
2: UI on stoves and microwaves and all that is just so awful. Yeah, and microwaves
1: cool. have way too many buttons, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, just don't uh, get a microwave. Problem solved. Oh yeah, that's I don't Brin's. have one. That's, same, go. same with Brin. I'm very picky about stoves.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: How
1: did you start picking up the digital skill set?
2: Roughly, <laughs> <laughs> um, I basically started just looking at apps that I already knew and, and liked and uh you know drew things up in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Again, still was that unaware was of Sketch question. at this point. Yeah. I don't know if Sketch was actually out at this point. Maybe so it's just...
0: been just 10 years or okay, so. It since was definitely it out,
2: out yeah. then and I just was unaware. It, it been
0: popular didn't, like seven years ago. I didn't know something. about Sketch like three or four years ago. So.
2: so yeah, just looking at things that I already liked. And it's interesting because I I knew this from furniture design I had a professor my first semester when we had to design our first table and everyone starts looking at pictures of other tables and she's like, you know, you're basically just inbreeding tables at this point. Like, you need to look for inspiration outside of the context, you know, Yeah. Um, but what if you want to
0: build the royalty of tables? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I guess <laughs> then yeah only study tables I guess but
2: no I think that idea is really valuable if you just if you only look to things similar to what you want to make then it's going to be a lot more challenging to mm-hmm. to innovate and so you know I really relied on the the physical aspects of the water bottle I was designing as a counterpart to be like, okay, well, how do I interact with the water bottle, and is there a way to like pull elements of that into the app? So it had a really cool uh, blue background, depending on how much you know. As you drank water, the the blue started to fill up the screen, and you know the accelerometer would have the water slosh yeah. around. It was pretty cheesy. I feel like
1: I've seen this. This was published somewhere.
2: Mm, hopefully, it's unpublished now. I feel
1: like <laughs> I've seen some concept like this.
2: It turned. I mean, we're looking at one of a, you know. A bottle of the similar mm-hmm. same concept right now, and so I don't think the idea was that innovative at the time. But it was, you know, an obvious way for me to start expanding my not only my skill set but how I was thinking about the like uh, intersection of objects in in digital UI.
1: Yeah. So what did you do after that? You've graduated. Yeah. You made a water bottle and an app.
2: Yeah. uh, So while I was at RISD, I was working for three years as a research assistant in the Office of Government Relations. Again, totally disparate from furniture, but I consider the work I did there to be really like half my education while I was in college. And so after I graduated, I stayed on to keep working on a project I was doing there, which was um, designing a digital map to help People uh, find each other in the context of the initiative we were doing. What do you mean? (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) the initiative was called STEM to STEAM, and it's the concept is adding an A for art and design thinking to science, technology, engineering, and math. And this is actually kind of how I started down the graphic design path. You know, the office was run by one full time woman, Babette Alina, and then she had like. Between four and six students working for her. You know, very small office. As this initiative scaled, we were getting hundreds of inquiries from, you know, people all over the country by phone, by email, and there was no way for us to field everyone. Uh, and a lot of people were just looking for connections to other people who were similar to them. So, um, my solution to this was to build a map. Put it online on our website and allow people to go there to find, find other people like them, whether they're looking for someone in their geographic area or looking for someone who is, you know, also an elementary school teacher um, or someone in research. And so you could add yourself to the map. You could tag yourself, um, you know, whether you are a researcher, an educator in industry. And then you could like write a blurb about yourself, you know, like attach your Twitter handle, like you could log in with Twitter and Facebook. And that was our way of like cutting ourselves out of the process and allowing people to directly connect with each other. Yeah. So that seemed worthwhile to stay on to. Um, and by that point, I had, you know, become a bit more comfortable in my graphic design skills. I had taken some classes after I found out that I was going to have to start making like, infographics, basically, to distribute to members of Congress. I was like, uh, I should probably figure out how to make things look decent. Good, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, took some graphic design classes my senior year, and by the time I graduated, I had this interesting skill set of, like, furniture making, graphic design, interest in government and policy. Uh, and then the big thing that was missing was understanding like the technology component and how these things actually get built and scaled. And that's how I ended up at Figma.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, holy shit, the dots are so clear now.
2: Yeah, right? Hindsight.
1: <laughs> how did you end up at Figma?
2: So Dylan Field uh, mm-hmm. and Evan Wallace, the co-founders, were both at Brown, which is right next to RISD. Like mm-hmm. they share parts of As soon as you said RISD,
0: I was like, oh, I see how this works. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so I had met Dylan... I don't know, my sophomore or junior year mm. uh, at an event called Hackers and Painters. Mm. It was an attempt to get RISD students and Brown CS students in a room together. And so I'd gone to like one of them. And
1: you were the painter in this case? God, I know. What?
2: <laughs> I've never been keen on the name, but I'm keen on the concept. concept <laughs> yes, yes. Concept good.
1: Concept sound.
2: Uh, oversimplification, not so good. But uh, yeah, so I had met Dylan we kept in touch. He ended up dropping out and was starting this company it was like very much in my peripheries and then he ended up reaching out to me saying they were looking for a designer and I was like, I could move to California. <laughs> I could do the Silicon Valley thing and I think at the time my perspective was that if you know obviously figma is a design tool and
0: I'm sorry I'm not familiar uh, yeah <laughs> wait what is it?
2: you know, a sketch in the browser. <laughs> no. Oh no. What's the pitch now, Bryn? You tell me
1: good question. I swear to God, this <laughs> isn't an ad for Figma. <laughs> yeah. Uh
2: maybe we can just cut this. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. It's great. Okay. So yeah, my my perspective being fresh to the space but very interested, uh having experience with other types of tools, non-digital mostly, but I think there is something interesting to that. Um, I could come into the space and try to help reimagine what a design tool could be because I wasn't, you know, on Team Sketch or Team Photoshop or whatever. Um,
1: Is that why Dylan reached out to you, you think?
2: Uh, I think he reached out to me because he thought I would know other designers, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it all worked out.
1: Well, like in hindsight, yeah, that's pretty cool for someone to come in without this like allegiance to a design tool or being this deep in this world of like. Weighing these yeah. microscopic differences in 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 the tools and being like, hey, let's build something new. That's pretty yeah. compelling.
2: And the coolest thing about working on Figma, especially early on, was when we could reach the point where we could start designing the tool inside of itself.
1: Yeah,
0: they uh, they refer to that quite a bit internally about like how tough it was and like how like you were so long-suffering because you had to
2: do that very early. It was the most frustrating thing ever. (laughs) I mean, I will never take for granted any aspect of, like, design tools. And I I use Sketch now because kind of have to at Facebook. But just, like, you can't possibly understand how frustrating it is when you're like, okay, rectangle tool doesn't draw a rectangle. (laughs) Like, you you literally can't do your job. And just trying to figure out, you know, like, I remember we were trying to decide on, like, move versus edit mode, Mm -hmm. Uh, just, like, what the UI should look like so you knew that you were in one mode versus the other, and you realize the significance of your decisions immediately because you know if it works or if it doesn't. And so that was probably one of the most satisfying aspects of working on the product so early. But, yeah, there were days where I just wanted to pull my hair out and leave.
1: How did you approach the work coming in without this context of sketch and Photoshop and saying like, okay, we're going to invent a new kind of design tool. Mm -hmm. How did you break down that problem and get to work?
2: I think by just starting with the basics, it's like, okay, what do you need to get started? Like, do you actually need a rectangle tool? Like, do you need a rectangle tool and a line tool? Like, can we scrap the line tool for now and see if we ever need to add it back? Um, One of the exercises i did pretty early on was go through like photoshop and illustrator and go through all the menus and just like cross out everything i didn't think you needed and see where you were left and it's pretty like limited uh like tool set will get you pretty far (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i mean i think all i ever used in sketch was rectangles and booleans i mean that's all you really need Yeah. um, except for their booleans didn't work which is and, I mean, it's just all rectangles. It's fine. One pixel at a time. Lots of
1: small one <laughs> pixel rectangles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Everything in the world is generally
1: just small rectangles.
0: Hmm. No, I mean, like whenever I'm like looking for a really reductionist way to say what I do, I'm like rectangles and text. Like. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Classic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think where it started to get more complicated and I started to feel more out of my comfort zone. Hmm. I mean, even further out of my comfort zone than I already was, I guess, was starting to get into like. Is there, you know, a concept of time in this tool? Like, should there be like support for animation or movement of some kind, uh, interaction? Adding those levels became a lot more challenging because I don't know. I'm I'm rusty talking about this stuff, but oh. I think there's a point where where you're wondering like if you should just build it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like. When does it become worth investing effort into something that, like, isn't the real product at the end of the day?
0: I mean, it always blows my mind, like, the lack of hurdles to getting things built at Figma. Like, Evan can build something in a day, and it's Evan insane. can build anything. It, it's amazing. The, the stuff he comes out with, I'm just like, how, what? Yeah, it's pretty impressive. The entire engineering team there has been amazing to work with.
1: Which is amazing, but also, I could see it being uh, a good curse in a weird way is like if you can build anything then you can build anything including the wrong things right
2: yeah but you have the benefit of finding out (laughs) if it's the wrong thing well hopefully pretty fast hopefully Um, can we
1: talk a little bit more about the the comfort zone thing yeah like so you you came out from rhode island you came Mm -hmm. to san francisco
2: palo alto whoa
1: Mm -hmm. tell me about that
2: we're literally in a garage in Palo Alto, like a converted auto mechanics garage. Did
1: you know that's what you'd signed up for?
2: No. Uh, my first day was the I first day was a in stereotype. the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Like my first day I spent assembling IKEA furniture, ironically. Holy. That was the first day in the first office. They had I think had like a small space before, but um yeah, I moved all my stuff out, was living above the detached garage of a house in Palo Alto, knew not a soul down there. It was very interesting. Um, definitely out of my comfort zone. I questioned probably every day for a year, like, should I have just moved to New York with all my other friends? And, like, I could be working for, like, a kitchenware company yeah. designing spatulas all day, and it would be comfortable and safe, and I could take the train home in three hours, and it'd be no problem. So, what kept you? Probably a bit of a masochist, I guess. No. Um, (laughs) What kept
1: me. I enjoy assembling IKEA furniture. It's really weird.
2: (laughs) No, I don't. Um, What kept me was being able to work on something new. And I was just learning so much. So, so, so much. I had never worked with an engineer before. So, if you can imagine what that's like now. It's like every single thing they tell you is is new. and Well, so, moving from
0: zero to Evan is a yeah. strong move.
2: <laughs> exactly. Um, zero to Evan. I like that. So, yeah. I mean, it was incredibly satisfying in that way, but simultaneously exhausting if you think about, like, that feeling you have after a day of learning new things. It was like that every day for me for months. And... I had felt like I'd pretty much gotten off the plane on an alien planet in California. I mean, I'd been here to visit, but it's really different living here. And Palo Alto especially is its own unique. like
0: <laughs> It's like the heart of the valley a little bit, right? Like San Francisco is a little detached from that culture in some ways, but.
2: Yeah, Palo Alto. I mean, if I left my house at the same time every morning, I'd ride my bike to work I would pass like the same people crossing the same streets at the same time. Like clockwork. Yeah. It was or crazy.
1: you live in the Truman Show.
2: That's That was my theory for a while.
1: Holy shit. Yeah,
2: I'm pretty sure it would Wouldn't be way be too extensive to pull it off. Crazy if it were you were like
1: Truman. <laughs> Turn off the camera. Is
2: this when you tell me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Surprise.
2: Everything was culminating Your whole to life's this been moment. building
1: up to this moment, the big reveal.
2: No, I'm pretty sure I'm not Truman. I won't tell you about all the time I've spent thinking about that, yeah, but...
1: Keep keep believing that. Mm-hmm.
2: No, I mean, being in Palo Alto was very isolating, but at the same time, I think, gave me the space to really focus on, like, this new company, like, a new field of work. Everything just felt new, and so I really think I just, like, ripped the Band-Aid off all at once, which was painful, but... I think I'm way better because of it. yeah. And I'm way more comfortable making bigger changes. Like when I left Figma and I, I had no idea what I was going to do next for work, like I don't think I would have been able to make a decision like that before I had like come to California and figured things out.
1: I love that. It's like two things stand out is one, building a tolerance for uncertainty, mm-hmm. like building a tolerance for painful transition, which scares the shit out of, most people. Yeah, uh, it is scary. It is scary. But the second is in the periods of doubt, optimizing for learning more than comfort, that feels like a cheat code to life is like be where you will learn the most and not where you'll be the most comfortable. And yeah, maybe and someday those will align.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And, you know, the more you push the edge of your comfort zone, the bigger your comfort zone becomes. And I think the more comfortable you become like pushing that edge, uh, like, You know, a few years ago, I probably would have said no to your email to come on this show. I'm like talking about myself to like an audience of unknown people is 2 million, 2 million of you out there. No, that's completely untrue. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay.
1: This is also where I can make things up. Uh,
0: we are, well, This is a total of 2.5 million downloads now. That's
1: pretty cool. (gasps) That's impressive. That's
2: unrelated though.
0: And it's all going to
1: spiral out of control when people hear this episode. (laughs)
2: Yeah let me know about that um no but i think you know like uh last year was the first time i had spoken at a conference like you get these opportunities and it's so easy to say no because it's just scary and you're gonna have to like do the work preparing side note why i love doing this there's nothing to prepare right it's great great. thank you That's why we love it too yeah you just show up and talk yeah but no, I think I've, like, had these moments, like, I just had my first work trip, international work trip. And, like, there's something about that where it's so easy to just say, no, I think I'd rather stay home. Like, I home is safe and, you know, I can play with a dog and, ah, you know, sleep in my own bed. That sounds so nice. But you Your know, bed made of buckets. <laughs> my bed is not made of buckets yet. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you added that. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. No, but I think... Just like the more you have these slightly uncomfortable experiences, it's like nothing crazy. It's just a little uncomfortable. You you know that you find value in doing them and it's easier to motivate yourself to like continue putting yourself in that slightly uncomfortable place.
1: Right. So how long did you stay doing that at Figma? Uh,
2: Between two and three years. Let's call so it in, two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know how, how deep you want to get, but I- I think I just hit this point where that was exacerbated by the passing of one of my close friends uh, where I was like, wow, there are just a lot of things I want to do. And how long am I going to wait to put them off? Like, Probably not much longer. I think I should just finish up the projects I'm working on and like take some space for myself. And so I left with no plan other than to go spend time with my friends and family and that like luckily for me led me to Berlin and to Tallinn, Estonia. And we should talk about Estonia when we get back to some of the government stuff, because there's a reason why I'm obsessed with Estonia.
0: It's walled. Doesn't, doesn't the whole country have a wall or something?
2: No, quite the opposite.
0: Okay. Let's come back
2: to (laughs) that. Um, So, yeah, uh, Berlin and Tallinn and Stockholm, Copenhagen. I went to Hawaii. I went to that conference I mentioned and San Diego. I got to, like, spend some time at home with my parents and, you know, my friends who still live there and just, like, do whatever I wanted, probably for the first time in my life, which was amazing. Mm. Highly recommend. You can pull it off. Yeah, um. <laughs> if you can
1: pull it, uh, Keep razor if you can yeah, pull it up. Yeah. I
2: mean, yeah, I think, yeah, it's was probably the best like four months of my life. And then I think as soon as I was able to just let go and put myself and my interests first, everything fell into place. What do you mean? Like my parents were like, you can't quit your job without having another job. That's the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. That's not the way the world works. And I'm like, you know, I have this much money saved, like, I can stay in this place, this place, and this place for free, like, I think I should take those opportunities, and the job thing will figure itself out. And if it doesn't, I'll figure it out when I get home, and worst case scenario, I move back in with you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Luckily, you are my safety net. So, to reiterate, (laughs) problem.
1: Uh, Uh, Again, it's that comfort with uncertainty. Yeah. Like, even, oh, that's terrifying for me, personally, it's like, Leaving without having a thing to do, yeah, that will pay you money.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I was just say you had a <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you
1: had things to do. Yeah, the
2: getting paid for it part is key, but uh, no, I mean, I I'll chalk it up to the universe or whatever. But right before I left for Europe, Facebook reached out and was like, "Hey, we're starting this team. We think you might be interested in it." And I was like, "Okay, I don't know about that. Like, I'm not thinking about jobs yet, but I'll come in and interview." Like. Worst case scenario, it's like good practice. Sure. And it was like the dream mm. job. So uh, I, yeah, did my onsite. I finished up over the phone from Berlin. I got my offer in Tallinn. I negotiated in Stockholm and accepted in Copenhagen and came wow. home. Well, then I went for a week-long rafting trip in Utah, and then I started a job.
1: <laughs> Hang on. Hang on, Facebook. Yeah. Chill out, Mark. Uh, I'm going to go rafting real quick. Yeah,
2: that was well worth it as well. So what was the team? Uh, It's called Civic Engagement, and the mission is to give everyday people a voice in public decisions. Okay. And so lately that involves a lot of uh, politics and and government-related decisions, but if you you look up the definition of civic as a whole, there's a lot more community oriented local government work than you might expect. So.
1: Sure. So like what's an example of something that the civic engagement team at Facebook might think about or work on?
2: Yeah. um, so on Facebook, you have a platform to hundreds of millions of people in the United States. And with the general election that happened in 2016, uh, Sorry, we don't talk about that. No, yeah, I had a feeling. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, we're like, how do we use Facebook as a platform to help people turn out for election day? And the first thing, you know, first step towards that is getting people to register to vote. And like I mentioned, it's super complicated for a lot of people to figure out. And so we just launched a, a promotion uh, corresponding with the election deadlines in your state and helped you walk through the process and directed you to the right places to register and made sure you did so in time. Mm-hmm. And so we helped two million people register to vote. And um, so doing things and this is the first time I've I've worked at this scale in terms of numbers of people doing things.
0: You tend to hear that with Facebook. <laughs> yeah. It's there's a lot of people.
2: Yeah, a lot of people. And that I think the people and the sheer number of people has been really humbling for me and as, as you experience these problems on like such a huge scale it's like whoa this that is a problem like this is not just one isolated story of someone who can't figure out how to register to vote it's like you look at the data and it's just like it's insane yeah that wasn't very articulate
1: and so <laughs> so it's pretty solid so what next can you talk about like, where do you go from there? The general election's over. So, like, what does civic engagement look like now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think...
1: Can
0: you just give us your, 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 your future roadmap? What's the roadmap <laughs> and uh, <laughs> divulge all proprietary all information, please?
2: Um, no, I mean, I think our, our focus now is to help people connect with local government. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're more likely to be impacted on a day-to-day basis by the decisions made at the local level. Than, and than anything that's happening at the federal level, even though that's hard to imagine right now. Yeah. Um, Statistically. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I think helping people understand who to go to yeah. for certain problems. Like, not every problem is, you know, going to be a Trump problem. It's, a yeah. lot of it's going to be a, a mayoral problem, you know, a state Stupid senator problem.
1: <laughs> what do mayors even do? But yeah, oh.
2: I mean, I... I've, Experienced this for the first time when I was at RISD. I was on the student government and people would come to meetings with these problems and everyone wants to blame the president of the school. But it's like, well, you know, there's a bunch of people put in place to also deal with these things. Like, why don't you go talk to the vice president of this or, you know, the person who's actually in charge of this thing? And I think... You know, especially when you're emotional about an issue, it's easy to just go straight to the top and like say, you know, they're a bad leader and I hate them because this thing's happening to me. But there are so many people in the government, like so many. And it would be amazing to me if, if work I did helped people um, understand how to more effectively interact with government.
1: So tell me about Estonia.
2: Okay, Estonia. Uh, Where to start? So Estonia, we'll start with the history. Estonia gained its independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. And at the time, a genius person in Estonia had the foresight to recognize that they would probably be living under threat of invasion for the next so many years, and at the same time, this thing called the internet was happening. And so what if they just put the government on the internet? And that way, if they're ever occupied, they could run the government from anywhere. So by 1996, I want to say, there was the basic infrastructure up and running to, to basically have a, an e-government. And so what that means, as a citizen in Estonia today, you have a chip on your ID card, much like we have on our credit cards now, and you swipe your ID card like in a card reader attached to your computer to authenticate your identity online, which means you can vote online, file your taxes, like access your legal records, healthcare records. It all talks to each other. It's like so what? impossible to imagine that working, right? But, uh, and they've also uh, started a program in the last couple of years called e-residency, which basically allows anybody in the world to become an e-resident of Estonia. It's probably more useful for people who are doing business with Estonian companies, and there is actually a pretty, a pretty quickly growing tech scene in Tallinn. Um, but when you go to fill out the application, there is an option at the very bottom for why you're applying that just says, "like I think e-residency is cool." Wow! So that's what I chose.
1: So you're an e-resident. I am. Whoa!
2: I'm an e-resident. So what of does Estonia. that mean? You
1: can file your taxes in Estonia?
2: I think for me, there's real. There's no real value, but okay. again, like I said, if you're doing <laughs> business, you got business, to check the checkbox
1: checkbox. said it sounds cool. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um,
0: Once you see that checkbox, you fill out the entire form. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah seeing the word
2: "cool" on any form is yeah. inspiring.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a pretty chill form. No, <laughs> um, but
2: I mean, I became an e-resident to to support the idea of, you know, a, a digital government. Like, it's amazing to me because it starts a conversation around like what defines a government. Like, is it a Are you a citizen of a place because you're contained by its physical borders? Well,
1: physical borders, even like an imaginary thing, right?
2: Yeah. And so I think there's just like, yeah, that's a pretty great concept. And
1: it's so cool to see how all the dots have connected from like furniture design and this desire to make things and then realizing the people impact and then coming to Figma and getting this technology perspective and learning to speak that language. And now at Facebook being able to scale the combination of those three skills. So I'm curious uh, at this point, like what, what's keeping you up at night? Uh, like what's what's the next dot in this path for you of like things you wanna learn and work on besides buckets?
2: Besides buckets. Um, I think, you know, my, my long-term goal, I call it like my lighthouse. Like if I'm in a sailboat, I see a lighthouse and I'm using that to, like guide me, but I'm trying not to exactly hit the lighthouse. But I'm it's getting me in the <laughs> yeah, right direction. Don't right? want to hit it. Yep. So that direction for me is like ex- further exploring the intersection of design and government. Like this push towards functionality and efficiency and like bringing good user experience to government would be like my life's work if I had that choice.
1: Is it? Do you think it's more effective to work for the government to do that or to? build technology companies and products that supplement the government?
2: I was not sure, and I'm still not. Um, that was an option. I think I looked quite a bit at opportunities in the government, and there is a really a really uh, great part of the government called 18F, and they have offices all over the country, and it's basically like a startup inside the government. Um, You should look that up on your own time. I'll butcher it if I try to explain anymore. But as my next step, I chose Facebook because I thought it'd be interesting to see not only how a company scales, like after my time at Figma, it was like still super small. I mean, we were Mm -hmm. under 20 when I left. I don't know. We're 24 now. Yeah. Great. So I wanted like the opposite experience of that. And it just so happened that I had the opportunity to work on this team. And so... I'm still not sure. And I don't know if if there is an answer to that question. But I think I mentioned in the beginning of this, I think it's important to understand how systems currently work to figure out how to direct them in the right way. And so I think at some point I will need some government experience. Whoa. But.
1: What do you think are the biggest opportunities? Like looking at what Estonia has done, where they had this forcing function of threat of occupancy to. Mm change the entire system constraints
0: Uh, are fun for building new stuff huh yeah
1: (laughs) yeah like not even in the u.s but in the world like what do you see as big opportunities for for what you're talking about like educating people about the way systems work educating people about how to become involved in those systems and like where problems can be uh like tactically solved right like i mean
2: something that i think about a lot right now is reach And even with Facebook, you can you can reach a lot of people, but not all of the people. And you have to think about who you're not reaching. And there is significance in that. If you're not a computer literate person, if you don't have access to a computer or the Internet, which is still the case for a lot of people, even in the U.S., you know, how do you make sure that those people still have a voice? Like, how can we make sure we're getting a, a holistic view of of what's happening to people and you know i think i'm happy doing this work at facebook because as a company there are other initiatives to help like get people online you know is there a system is there a possible system that actually includes everybody and i mean the whole idea of representative democracy is because we couldn't really include everyone back in the day but as we're getting closer and closer to to having, like, one-to-one participation, how should our government, like, scale? And probably the biggest question that keeps me up at night, like, is our government capable, like, the current system capable of scaling with society? Like, does it have that inherent, inherent flexibility designed into it? Yeah. And I think that's being tested right now.
1: Yeah. The, like, population to... System of government, uh, where does it break?
2: Yeah. And like the rest of society is developing so quickly. There's no way, you know, the founding fathers could have anticipated that the world would be the way it is today, that technology would be the way it is,
1: that people would be making tables out of buckets. Exactly.
2: Um, Real crazy shit.
1: (laughs) No one saw that coming.
2: (laughs) So I will say, Thomas Jefferson. This is dumb.
1: but <laughs> Real bucket head. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he had a hot bucket of water brought to him every morning to soak his feet in, so I've read. Hmm. Um, so he did like buckets.
0: <laughs> Let's get Thomas Jefferson on the record as pro-bucket. Um, Thank you. Generally. The
1: record shall so
0: reflect. Well, uh, and I mean, if you ever turn that thing over he had a bucket table too he so. had a footrest
1: yeah. so he had a table yeah, the he big takeaway here
2: is that buckets are part of American history
1: <laughs> buckets will change the world and American preach future it. cool preach yeah, it uh, preach it thanks for coming on <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks guys
1: that's the end alright we did it awesome that was scattered
0: <laughs> that was episode 186 thank you to Sarah for coming and hanging out with us and talking about bucket heads throughout history and you know, just what furniture really is.
1: Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed. If you did, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Let us know what you thought. Leave us a review on iTunes if you've been enjoying the show. If you've gotten any value, we love reading those reviews, and the star ratings are super useful to help new people discover the show. Otherwise, Twitter, Slack, spec.fm slash Slack. Follow us on the internet. Let's hang out and talk. Thanks so much for listening.
0: See you next week.